to the end of the year, and, and I think it's, it's incredible, you know, Vuyani's testimony as well fits in quite well with, um, with what the kind of the heart of this morning's message that I felt for us is. But, you know, sometimes we get into life and, and, and we wonder, am I in the right place at the right time? Like, we, we have this thing of, of constantly wanting to be like, am I where the Lord wants me if you're a believer? Or if you're not, like, am I in the right place for the right opportunities? Am I going to miss them if I'm not? Where do I, who do I have to hang around? Who do I have to be around? Like, we have like these, you know, if you live in corporate worlds, you have networking parties so that you can make sure you've got the right connections. But we often want to be in the, in the right place and at the right time. And um, I often think that, you know, that, that right place, right time thing is such a, it's such a false illusion that we have, that we, that we can put ourselves in the right place at the right time. If we, if we look at, trying to be in the right place at the right time, yeah, there's not much that we, can, that we can, because we don't know the future, we can't actually make sure that we're in the right place at the right time. But don't be disheartened, because there is a way around it, and there is the, the right way to do it. But we're looking at, as we're leading up to Christmas, we're looking at a, a few things in the, in the story of the birth of Jesus and the narrative of Jesus. And what we're going to look at this morning um, we're going to look at uh, carrying on in, in Luke. So we were in Luke last week, Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 2 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If you've got an electronic one, you can click on over. If not, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen so you can read them. And we're going to kind of look at three sets of characters in the, in the narrative of Jesus' birth and in the story of Jesus' birth right in the beginning. We're going to start off, and I'll just jump straight in. So right place, right time. We, don't, we, we, can't, we, we can't actually make ourselves be in the right place at the right time. But there are things that we can do, and they're more, we'll get to them at the end, but to make sure that we're not missing out on what God wants to do, and, and by extension, being in the right place at the right time. So Luke chapter 2, um, we're going to read a fair bit this morning, but it's good. It's never, never a bad thing to read a lot of scripture in church. Um, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, and it goes like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's, and it's, it's, sort of it's amazing how we often, you know, we have this nice picture of angels as being like soft. You know, they've got like the blur filter on, and they've got little harps maybe in white, you know, white flowing robes. But every time we see an angel in the Bible, people are terrified. They, and, and there's a holy terror about that. There's this... There's this understanding that I'm in the presence of something that is far greater than me. And, and they carry just a little bit of the hint of the presence of God in that thing, as being sent as messengers of God. But we need to understand that there's a holiness about God. And when someone is sent from the presence of God to come and bring a message, there is a holiness and a weightiness that comes with that thing. So the shepherds are out there. And shepherds were rough guys. They like fought off like lions and bears and stuff to protect sheep. And they slept out in the wild. They were the original like campers and, and hikers. <laughs> but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Jump down to um, to verse 20, Luke chapter 2, verse 20. So the shepherds then go off, they find Mary and Joseph, and they find the baby Jesus, and 
they celebrate him, they tell him what the angel has said, and then they, it says this out of verse 20, the shepherds returned, so they went back to their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So some interesting things about shepherds in, their, in, in um, Jewish society is they, they had a fairly low standing on the social rank. It, wasn't, it didn't require much intelligence to be a, a shepherd, so most of them were fairly uneducated. They, were, they would sleep with the sheep, and they were out and about, and they were in the wild, and because of the, the, they handled the animals and those sort of things and the way that they lived, they were considered um, ceremonially unclean in Jewish, under strict Jewish law. So they were, unless they went through a certain cleansing rites and things, they were actually excluded from worship in the temple. Now where they were out there, the, the, the shepherds, they were on the, the, the hills of Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, just a little bit south of Jerusalem, and some of the commentators believe that what they were doing is they, they kept the sheep, the sheep there, and then they would bring them in, and those were the sheep that were often used in sacrifices in the temple. So they were, they were serving the temple, but they weren't allowed to go in, in a way. Um, they, they would have, so they would have had very little religious or, or political or social standing in society. They were uneducated, and they were, they were like in a, they were out of town. They weren't in a very important place. They were kind of in like the backwaters of society. They were sort of in the middle of nowhere. And yet it's to them that the angels come and declare the truth of what's coming in Jesus. It's to these uneducated, dirty, unclean sort of ruffians that the angels come and say, hey, you guys need to know about this. And it's such a weird thing because you're kind of going like, who are they going to tell? Like they don't really, they can't, you know, they don't have any position, they don't have any platform, they can't go in and change it, they're not going to, they're not going to influence society, in the, and yet God chooses, he sends an angel specifically to those shepherds in the, and you kind of ask why. But I think a beautiful picture for me is exactly what we see in, in Jesus's ministry and, and, and the people he goes to over and over, is the shepherds for me represent the simple and the marginalized people the poor, for whom the birth of this liberating Messiah, this, this Christ, this um, Messiah who was coming, was going to bring liberation, and for them it would have been good news. For the poor and the marginalized and those who most need it, for them it would have been good news. The second person we're going to look at a little bit further down in Luke chapter 2 is a man called Simeon. So Simeon 25, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 35 reads like this. This is his part in the story. He says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Can you say righteous and devout? And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And then he sings this song, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 
It sounds good up until the end. Hey, imagine getting those promises. Great. And, it's gonna, and then he comes with this thing. And that obviously speaks to the pain that Mary's going to suffer when she witnesses Jesus dying on the cross. But isn't it a lack of thing? I mean, how many of you, let's, you, can, you can be like, you don't have to be falsely humble this morning. How many of you would like to be called righteous and devout? Me and Al. Okay, good. We're honest. You're, I see you, Alex. Me and you, we're honest. That's nice. The rest of you can work on it through Dave's readings on your honesty. You got to put honesty in that one, Dave. Righteous and devout. We all, I mean, that's a nice thing to be. Hey, not many, not many of us want to be these unclean shepherds out in the bush. Yeah? But righteous and devout, we would like that. It says of him, he was, the Holy Spirit was on him. So things had been revealed to him by the Spirit. It says he was moved by the Spirit. What an amazing thing. God is at work in this man's life. He's righteous and he's in devout. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the political and the religious capital. He's got the Holy Spirit. Goes to the temple courts. It's the right place to be. It's kind of the head of things. And he speaks prophetically of Jesus' identity, Jesus' purpose, his calling, the effects that his ministry will have. And his hymn follows this, just as a side note, his hymn, that, that he, it follows this incredible little um, pattern of promise, fulfillment, and praise. So there's a promise of God that's coming. He sees the fulfillment of that thing, and then there's praise of God out of that. And our lives should live the same. And his prophecy that Jesus is going to be God's salvation, and that's a play on words slightly in the original. In, in Hebrew, it would have been a, a, pray, a play on words. So, so Jesus' Hebrew name is kind of very similar to Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Yeshua. So there's some folks who get a bit caught up in that, and, and we think we've got to call him by that name, but it's not. You can, so, but it's a bit of a play on words there. So he's saying he is God's salvation. But that kind of, yeah, that carries on through Luke and Acts. So Simeon, incredible man. So we've got the shepherds out there, kind of back end, nobody's, angel comes to them and proclaims it. And then we've got Simeon, he's in the right place, right time, he seems to be the guy, like he's got it, he's already, he's already had the promise from God, God's already said to him, like, you're going to see the Messiah before you die, and then he gets this fulfillment of this promise, he gets this amazing prophetic word, and it's great, and he gets it, and he sees it. Wonderful, wonderful character in the story. And then a little bit further down, our third part in the, in the story, the third person is Anna, uh, verses 36 to 38. By the way, Anna is the, the Greek form of Hannah, with the H's. And Hannah means grace. At least Kirsty knew. Johnny was still, but Kirsty knew. Grace. Hannah means grace. So this is this, the, the lady's name is, is Grace. But uh, verses 36, 7, and 8 reads like this. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84, or she was a widow for 84 years. That can be read both ways. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem, sorry. So here is this very old woman. She was either 84 or she was roughly 105, depending on how that, that little verse reads in the middle there. So she's not young. Anna spends day and night in the temple. She is there in God's presence. 
And it's obviously not physically day and night. It, it means she's there a lot. She's there all the time. She is there and she's fasting. She's praying. She's doing all the right things. Like she's got her spiritual practices down. She's having silence and solitude there. She's, and she's known as a prophetess. She's known as someone who speaks messages from God. She's known as, as a person who is, has a prophetic gifting. She's doing all the, right, all the right things and she's in the right place as well. She's in the temple in Jerusalem. But I love that in all of these three stories, there's some real subtle imagery that, that is carried through all of them. And I think for us, if we look at that, it's going to enrich the story for us and, and bring us some amazing meaning. So what we see is, is Luke, Luke here in the beginning. So he's only in the second chapter of what he writes. He didn't write in chapters. Chapters were added, added later. But, but Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and it was kind of a two-part volume. You know, like some, some stories are like three or two or three-part, like the Lord of the Rings is a three-part thing. And so, but this is a two-part um, volume. And then, so Luke hints at the main message of his gospel, that the coming of Jesus and, and the point of Jesus' coming was about the coming kingdom. And it was the establishing of the kingdom of Christ. And that that kingdom transcends all boundaries. It transcends social boundaries. So how society may view one person over another. It transcends gender boundaries. So shepherds would have been all male. Simeon was a man, but Anna was a woman. It transcends political, financial, and even between Jew and Gentile. If you listen to what... Simeon spoke about, he said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. See, we can miss it quite easily in that thing. You see, the Jews were hoping for this nationalistic Messiah who's going to come and set Israel free as a nation. But God is going, no, no, you're missing it. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to be a light for everybody. That coming kingdom transcends all boundaries. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is not scared and he, and he does intentionally and he has an impact on the very heart of the Israelite nation. He goes, right in the beginning of the story, Jesus rocks up at Jerusalem. So they were in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. It's where, they were, where Joseph's family was from and they had to go down there for a census. And then they had to go up to Jerusalem to perform these Jewish rites, which was on their way home. Nazareth was further north where they were going back to. And so they, they would have been kind of doing it as they were going home. But Jesus comes to the very center and the very heart of the Israelite nation. And that's also, that's a theme that's going to run through, is that Jesus comes at the very heart of the religiosity of the, the Israelite nation. And he comes in and, they, and there's things that, that you see the work of God and the Spirit of God break out in people. And it kind of challenges the religious mindsets and the ways of thinking that people had. And like Dave said, it's sometimes we have these expectations of what God should be doing and what God should look like. But the way God actually works is quite different. And we're like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, why are you, don't you want to just do this? And God says, I'm actually going to do it like this. And we get cross sometimes with that. Or we get frustrated or we miss it. But God is God and we are not. And that's a good thing. The third thing that we see in some of the subtle imagery is that, you know, the, the divide and the righteous, we, we would expect to see God. And the, the people that are in the temple day and night, praying and fasting and gift of prophecy, we'd expect them to see God. But it's the simple shepherds as well who can see God. And that is hugely encouraging for the rest of us. 
Because that is us. For honestly, that's most of us. And I love that thing because they're not, you know, they don't have any major spiritual gifts. They're not educated in the ways of the Torah. They don't, you know, they don't have any rabbinic traditions that they're trying to follow very carefully. They're just trying to make ends meet. They're honestly out there working hard, sleeping out in the fields at night to protect their sheep so that they can feed their families. That's what they're doing. And that, friends, if we're honest, is most of us. And they can see Jesus. And there's an important thing in that. Because you never know when the simple work that you are doing is going to bring massive change for the kingdom. And that's where Vuyani's testimony ties in this morning. Because Nick, at the beginning of the year, didn't go in going, man, I'm going to look for someone to bring to church. I'm going to bring one person to church this year. We're going to ch-. Nick just rocked up at work, doing his thing, being Nick, being the amazing family that they are. They're just like, hey, why don't you come along and invite people in? And if you've ever met Nick and Alex, that's who they are. That's like their thing. They're just seeing you people. They're like, hey, we've got the Sunday fun day thing. You should come. We've got a pool. You can come have a bride at the pool. We go into the bed. You, you're laughing because you've been invited, most of you. <laughs> you know. First Sunday, we were in this church when we was, it was still out at, out at Riverview, out at Pelosi Club. Nick and Alex, hey, what are you guys doing off the church? Running away. <laughs> and you? <laughs> so... so we got invited, and it's amazing. But there's Nick going about his job, just doing what he does, his forestry work, and he meets a young man, and he's listening to God, and he's hearing, and he goes, hey, why don't you come to church? What are you doing? Let's, and he not only invites him just to church, but he brings him into their family. And there's a young man's life that's changed, hopefully for the better. <laughs> uh, we know it is. We heard from Guiani. Here it is. Because of the faithfulness of Nick in his workplace, Never underestimate how important that is. Matthew Henry says it like this. He's a great um, commentator, one of the old commentators of old. He says, we are not out of the way, speaking on this passage, by the way, of, of, on the shepherds. He says, we are not out of the way of divine visits when we are employed in an honest calling and abide with God in it. Never ever think that the work that you do day to day, whether that be running a guest house or teaching small kids or a mom at home or putting up aerials for internet, whatever it is that you do, maybe it's just cutting cane, that never be unhappy that that is where God has got you. You think, man, I'm not in the right place. I need to be in the temple day and night. No, you're in the right place because that's where God has got you. Be faithful in that place. Serve in that place. Paul puts it like this in, in Colossians. Twice in Colossians, his letter to the church in in Colossians chapter 3, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. Same few verses later, six verses later, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Solomon, one of the wisest men ever in Ecclesiastes, he wrote a whole lot of wisdom literature, but Ecclesiastes 9.10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's incredible. We're often thinking about these amazing things. We've got to be doing something. And God's going, just be faithful where I've got you. You're in the right place at the right time right now. I just felt that that strongly was a message for someone, maybe it's me, maybe it's all of us, but you're in the right place at the right time now. Just be faithful with what God has put in your hand to do. and Do that thing with all your might. You see, Maybe you have walked with God for long, and maybe you are like Simeon, devout and righteous. And, so, and it, you know, the danger in that place is that it gets very easy to rely on yourself. 
when you, let's say you've got to teach the Bible. So you can go to Varsity and you can learn and you can read commentators and there's amazing software that you can look and I mean you can even like sermonspice.com for stuff that's going to spice up your sermon a little bit and you know there's, and you can rely on yourself a lot in those things. And Simeon could have in his devoutness and righteousness relied on himself. And yet over and over again, it's mentioned three times there that it was the Holy Spirit that was active in that man's life. And technically, he was still an Old Testament believer. And yet the Holy Testament, ugh, the Holy Testament, the Holy Spirit was still active in that man's life. He was listening. In his own righteousness and devoutness, there was a humility that still waited on God and that was still obedient to God. It doesn't say what Simeon did. He probably had other work. And in the midst of that work, God says, go to the temple. So he has to leave what he's doing, and then he goes to the temple courts. And there he sees Jesus, and he realizes that that promise is fulfilled, that God spoke to him so long ago. And he says, your promise has been fulfilled, I can die. Amazing. So how do we stay in the right place at the right time? How do we, how do we make sure that we're in the right place at the right time? And it might seem like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. And you're going to hear why. Is that the right place in the right time is not about a geographical or a chronological positioning. It's not about physically being in the right place or timeously being in the right place. Those things might have some serendipity about them. But right place, right time is more about a heart attitude. It's more about a positioning of my heart's attitude towards Jesus. Is my faith and my trust and my hope in Him? In the seemingly mindless, mind-numbing regularity of what I have to do over and over every day, the whirlwind that is my life, is my faith and my trust and my hope in Jesus in those moments? Are you available and open to Jesus in your everyday life? Doesn't matter what it is, what you're going about. Are you available and open to Him there? Whatever you do, work at it unto the Lord. Because it's Him that you work for, not people. That's going to make your relationship with your boss so much easier. Because you can say things, you can be like, well, that's fine, but I work for Jesus. And I'm going to just be faithful in doing what I do. So we're going to, we're going to do a spiritual practice this weekend. It's going to be kind of, kind of in line with Dave's thing. It's a bit of a stretch, but anyway. We'll get there. Maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays you can do this one, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday you can do Dave. But I want us to engage in something, and, and it's, a, it's a spiritual practice, and, and practices or, or spiritual disciplines are things that we do to help form us into disciples of Jesus. To become, we, we've said over and over again, we got, and it's John Mark Comer put it so neatly, but we are disciples of Jesus. And what that means as apprentices or those who follow Jesus is that we, we spend time with Jesus to become like Jesus so we can go and do what Jesus did. Simple, easy, that's what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus. But the key for us in, in doing these, uh, these spiritual disciplines is that all our spiritual formation begins and ends with God being good and loving. We must have that as our base. So as we come to this thing, if we're going to put our faith and trust and hope in God, we must trust that God is good and that He is loving. So often we ascribe the bad things to God. And we go, man, why did God cause this to happen? Why did God cause, you know, why did God make that? I don't want to push any buttons, but we often do that. Where we, we think, 
man, this bad thing, God, why did you make it happen? But it's not. The Bible says that the devil came to kill and steal and destroy. That's the enemy. We live in a world marred by sin and the effects thereof. And yet into that world, undeservedly, God shines his love and gives us hope in amongst all of that. And so the basis of our spiritual formation must begin with God being good and loving and true. Dallas Willard puts it like this. Well, actually, I'm going to, sorry, I jumped ahead there. Let's go back to that, the key that unlocks it. So the key that unlocks um, right place, right time, trusting and putting our faith in God is expectancy. So expectancy. What are you expecting from God in your life? Simeon was expecting the promise of God to be fulfilled. Anna, day and night in the, in the, in the temple, was expecting to hear God. She's a prophetess. Had to get, she's expecting it. The shepherds get this amazing message. They go to, Jerusalem, uh, to Bethlehem, into the town, expecting to see Jesus. They could have heard the message and been like, yes, that's amazing, eh? Yes, boys, that's incredible. Isn't that? And just stayed where they were. But there was an expectancy that caused them to move. There was a thing, like, well, if this angel that we've just seen is, is, is saying what's true, we need to go and see it. So there's an expectancy that causes action. Does that make sense? So that's the key that's going to unlock the right place, right time thing, is the expectancy. Do I have a heart that is expectant for God to move? Because if you don't, it's very hard to pray prayers of healing for someone you love. Because then you're kind of like, well, I'm just doing it because I think it's right. I don't actually expect God to move. And maybe some of us are a bit worn down in our expectancy because we've expected things and it hasn't happened. But I want to say to you, never stop expecting things of God. Kids are brilliant at expecting things. And they never tire. And they will come, and they will come, and they will come, and they were like, can we play now? Can we play now? Can I have a chocolate? How about a chocolate, Dad? Can I have a chocolate? Can I have a Coke? How about the rest of the, can I drink this? Can we do it? Like, we're leaving. You're not having all of that right now in the car. Hey, Dad, can I have this? Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm driving. I'm not going to, like, the, the, the expectation never shuts down. And it's tiring, but it's beautiful. And we lose that. We get some like cynicism that grows in us and we're just like, oh, well, it's never going to happen. But there's a beautiful innocence about a heart that expects. And so for us, as we want to unlock this relationship with God, the key is expectancy. So the base is God is good and loving, and then the key is expectancy. Let's be expectant of God. Dallas Willard puts it like this about um, our spiritual practices and where it comes from in, in hearing God. So our practice that we're going to do this week is going to be listening prayer. And um, I'll go into that more, but listening prayer is, is based on hearing God. When we think of prayer, we often think of this one-way communication where I speak and God listens. But Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, learning to hear God is much more about becoming comfortable in a continuing conversation and learning to constantly lean on the goodness and love of God than it is about turning God into an ATM for advice or treating the Bible as a crystal ball. I love that. It's so blunt. He's so blunt. And he just cuts to the heart of some of the things that we have. Where we expect to be like, I mean, you know what an ATM is. Eh? You walk up, put your card in, punch the pin, secret code, you get what you want. And we think that's like with God. Like we go up and we pray and we go, in Jesus' name, beep, 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 secret code, you think that's your pin, is in Jesus' name, get what I want. And it's not. It's a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. And, and, and if you've ever been in a marriage, you'll know. You don't boop, 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 get what you want out of the marriage. 
There's no secret pin code to get what you want. Because it keeps changing. The number keeps changing, and then you've got to like, figure it out. You've got to go and ask someone. But that's what it's like with God, is that there's this relationship that we're invited into with Him. And we get to be a part of that. So in, in this right place and right time, and the key with all three of those characters in this story, this part of the, the narrative that we read this morning, is that they all listened. They were all listening to God in one way or another. Some heard Him audibly with the visit of an angel. That would be amazing. Others, Simeon heard through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Anna overhears what's going on through what Simeon says, and she comes and she speaks into that context. So it's angelic visitations, it's Holy Spirit visitations, it's hearing other people speak. Are we listening in what we're doing? Are we listening as we go about? As Nick listened to say, hey, go and invite that young man. I believe, honestly, I believe that's a prompting from the Holy Spirit. To just go, hey, invite that. And it's as simple as that. It's just an unction sometimes. It's just like a, a feeling that we have. We're going to do this thing. And as we walk with Jesus, if you will do those small things, if you will do those little things, you'll see God do amazing things in your life. If you will be faithful with the little things that God calls you to do, standing in a queue, ask the deaf tellers at pick and pay how to say Jesus. How do you spell out Jesus in sign language? Amazing. Just make that person think about Jesus. Whatever it is, find a way. Pay for the person's groceries in front or behind of you. Maybe they, you've got a whole basket and they've got like a polonies arm. It's, stick it in, man. Pay for it. Why? Pay for someone's stationery at Zululander. You never know what it's going to do for that person. And they're like, why are you doing that? Well, because Jesus loves you and so do I. Have a nice day. Just follow, the, follow those promptings. Are you listening every day in your life? Are you listening always at what the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you? So, practice PracticeTheWay.org is, is an organization. It's a, it comes out of a church in, a, in Portland, Oregon. It's led by a guy called John Mark Comer. And we've done um, some of their practices before. Um, they have a few on, on spiritual disciplines and things. It's real good. It's laid out real simple and real possible. But this is, this is kind of straight out of their thing. So seven, seven points on what listening prayer is. So there's various kinds of prayer. And it's all prayer and it's all talking to God. And it's all being in that relationship, that place where we can hear from God. Um, and so it's not, don't think of it as something weird or something different. We just give it an, it's just given names so that we can understand the different aspects of prayer as a whole. So listening prayer is maybe something that you've not done before. And I want to encourage you in this week to take these seven steps, if you will, and put them into practice. And so here's what listening prayer can look like. So the first thing we do is, is we start by saying, Jesus, will you silence all other voices in this room? If you've ever tried to listen to God... And um, maybe it's just me, but my brain runs at like 100 miles an hour. Ferrari engine, bicycle brakes. It's very hard to stop. And it just goes. And so a lot of me comes, when I stop to listen to God, there's a lot, it takes time for me to get that thing quiet and to just go, shh, stop it, shh, stop it, stop. And I got it over and over again. Just, and so we ask Jesus. And we also know that there's... A lot of other voices that will want to speak into that. We believe in the, there is a very active spiritual realm. And so we've got to ask Jesus, you know, that the enemy is going to come and he's going to put things in our head. And he's going to come and he wants to direct us and distract us away from Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start off by asking Jesus, just quiet every other voice in this room that's not you. It's a simple thing just to do that so you can hear the voice of the Father. 
Ask him to, so you can ask him to, to like silence the enemy and silence my own distracting thoughts, Lord. And he can, be expectant. And then begin with, begin with forgiveness. Because there's probably a fair bit of that that you need to hear about. Not this person needs to forgive me, that person, the other way around. So ask Jesus, what is it in, in me that I need to forgive? Ask the Father to bring to mind anything that you, maybe, maybe there is stuff that you don't feel forgiven for. I remember early on in my walk, um, this kid just, I'm not going to say what it was, but I did some stuff before I was saved that I was ashamed and embarrassed about. And early on, just, I mean, I was saved a couple of months and I was struggling with this thing. And, and I went to a guy who was like a soft, gentle guy. And I thought, this is a safe bet. I knew he was a Christian. He was my boss at the time. And I went and I said, Brett, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing. Like, I, I, I just can't forgive myself. And I told him what it was. And it's quite a, it's like a personal thing. And, and so I said, like, I'm really struggling with this thing. You're all looking at me like you're wondering what it is. It was, <laughs> no one's listening to the story because you're all trying to figure out what it was. It was three abortions that I'd had in two different relationships with girls. And so I went and I said, I struggled to forgive myself for those things. I was, I was beating myself up about those things. And I went to Brett and I said, man, I'm, you know, I just can't, I can't get over this thing. I, I just feel like I've, and he looked at me lovingly, and he said, who the hell do you think you are? I said, I beg your pardon? Not the answer I was looking for. Not the comfort and care that I was hoping for. And he said, who do you think you are? I said, Brett, I'm not sure I understand the question. I know what it means, but I'm not sure I understand why you're asking it. And he said, if God has forgiven you, who are you to not forgive yourself? Do you know better than God? And it set me free in an instant. In that moment, it set me free. It still took me time to work it out, but it set my heart free in that moment from self-condemnation. And maybe there is in your self, there's something that you feel, man, I can't be forgiven of. So in your listening prayer, start with that. Jesus, silence the voices so I can hear the Father, and then ask the Father to bring to mind anything that you don't feel forgiven for. Is there anything? And then imagine taking that thing and putting it at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Because that's what the cross represents, is our forgiveness. That's why he died, so that you and I can be forgiven. doesn't mean that what we did is right. It just means that we are forgiven. That God doesn't hold it against us. That that thing doesn't come between us and God. Ask the Father if there's anyone you need to forgive. And then release that person. So the third thing. Invite God to bring to mind what he wants to address. You know, we often come with long lists. Long list of needs. I, um, I, I stick some stuff on the inside of my cupboard door that I, I, I want to remember often or I want to check often. And it, I mean, it's like it's my running plan and it's not important stuff. It's, <laughs> it's like my, my weekly running stuff or if I've got notes about things, I'll stick it on the inside. So that when I, and we, I saw in Zach's cupboard the other day, I was putting something away and he had a list, Christmas list <laughs> on the inside of his cupboard. It was a beautiful list. Can afford two out of three. So I'm like, buddy, you're getting... 66% of your Christmas presents this year. But it's, it's such a, we often do that. We have these lists that we come to God with when we come in prayer. And we want to, like, Lord, right, this thing, this thing, provide for this. Lord, send us here, make a way for a holiday there. Like, we need another car, we need another house. Jesus, I also want to go to Mozambique. Like, like please, can we? And we have these things, and we've got these long lists. But listening prayer requires that we come to God and we say, Lord, what do you want to deal with? 
And again, the faith and the hope and the trust in that is going that what God wants to deal with is the most important thing for me to deal with right now. And maybe some of that stuff is things on your list, but maybe it's not. So that's the next step, is asking God, what do you want to address? And some of those things might be like, is there stuff that I believe about myself that's not true? Is that what you want to address? What do you want to replace it with, Lord? And ask God if there's anything he wants to speak to you. Number four, when the Father brings something to mind, or when the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, ask some follow-up questions. What do you want me to know about this? Don't make assumptions. If you're anything like me, God says, before he's finished the sentence, I've run out the door with that thing. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm dealing with it. I'm going, let's do this. And, but ask some follow-up questions on those things. And, and questioning in this kind of prayer is the best way to stay in this moment of listening prayer. Where you ask, like, Lord, what do you want me to know about this? Maybe he's reminded you of something, uh, a moment in your childhood. You go, okay, what do you want me to know about that? And you'll have your own assumptions and, and things about those. And then ask another question, is there anything else? It's an incredible question to ask of God. It's a dangerous question, but it's an incredible question. You go, Lord, is there anything else that you want to deal with? And don't be afraid to wait and be patient. Some of the common frustrations you can have in listening prayer is that it feels very silent. But in that, in that place, ask God, what do you want me to know about this? Maybe the silence is an invitation to just rest, to just take some time and be in the Father's presence. Maybe it's an invitation to peace. Or it can be really hard to focus sometimes. And in that, you've got to ask the Father, like, Lord, what do you want me to know about this? Ask him about your struggle to focus. Like, am I doing too much? Have I got too many things going on? What is, why am I struggling to focus? Maybe I shouldn't have had the Coke and the chocolate right before listening prayer. <laughs> address your meal. Address your, maybe God wants to address your eating habits. You never know. Your body matters. You've got to keep that thing running. And let's just remember, in the, in, there's many other frustrations and things that can come up. You might think, man, I'm not hearing important stuff. I'm not hearing about this. There, there might be many other frustrations in that. But remember that a spiritual practice is trying, is, is training. Not trying. You're not getting it right. It's training for something. So if you don't get it right today, you go back and you, and you go tomorrow. It's like if you go for a run. If you don't meet your target today, it doesn't mean you give up running. Yeah, it's useless. This running thing doesn't work. No, no, you put your shoes on and you take a bit of a rest and you, two days' time, you maybe adjust your goals and you go back, adjust your expectations and you go back and you go, okay, I'm going to go for a run again and try it. Maybe I need to do some other training in order to get there. And so the same with our spiritual practices. When we do these things, don't think that you have to get them perfect and right. That's not the point. The point isn't to, to, be, the, to be the best at this. The point is to train in these things and to, to do them. Sixth thing, remember that overall, the point of spiritual practices is to deepen your relationship with God. You're not trying to come away with anything else but a deeper relationship with the Father. And maybe your listening is just a time to relax and be with Him. And you don't have to achieve any goals or accomplish any lists that you need to pray through. Just receive the love of God. And then finally, finish with thanks. Seven steps. It's always good to thank God because thanking realigns our heart 
brings us into the place of acknowledging that God is our provider, that He is the one that we need to thank for everything. So, that's us on this story out of Luke chapter 2, the three characters of the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, is that the right place in the right time is about positioning ourselves in our relationship with God. When we are hearing from God, when we are listening from God every day, in our everyday workplace, and we have this, the key is the, expectan- the expectancy that we have for God to use us in those places. You know, Dave brings, if you've seen it, Dave brings some amazing prophetic words on Sunday. But it's not like he wakes up on Sunday and there's an angel standing next to his bed. I mean, sometimes Shelley is bringing him stuff, but there's, <laughs> Dave's terrified. And he's, but, um, he's, but there's an expectancy of, on Dave that he wants to hear from God and that he wants God to use him in that way. And so there's an obedience to hear from God. And so for us, let that be our thing. Every day in your, in your everyday life, have that expectancy for God to use you. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's something simple that you love that God says, man, I want you to give that thing away today. Whatever it might be, hearing God in the small things is far more important than seeking for God to use you in the stadiums and the big things. Because we'll make far more difference. That is such bad English. We will make a far greater difference when we are obedient in the small things. Sorry, that was my Rustenberg coming out. (laughs) But being a fan of God's... (laughs) <laughs> Being a part of God's plan and living out our purpose is not about the right place in the right time, physically. It's about a heart attitude that is expecting for God to move and that is trusting in Him and that has our faith and our hope in Him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that because of your faithfulness that we can come to the Father. I thank you that because of your death and your resurrection, your faithfulness in enduring those things for us, in laying down your life in love for each and every one of us, that we can enjoy a relationship with a holy and righteous and pure God, that we get to enjoy his love unhindered, that we get to come into his presence boldly and with confidence as sons and daughters, that you, and Father, I thank you that you draw us up onto your lap and that you draw us into your arms, into a presence that is safe, and that is good for us. I pray for us this week, Jesus, that as we go out, that that you would be speaking to us, that you would be leading us and guiding us clearly. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying, and that we would be obedient in doing the things, as hard as those small things might be. Jesus, help us overcome our own insecurities in being obedient to you. I thank you for where you have placed each and every person here, God. I thank you that you have placed us right where you want us, God. And now it is up to us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient and to do everything that we do day in and day out for you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for every good thing that you give us that is beyond measure and beyond what we could hope for and beyond our expectation. I thank you that we get to enjoy one another and that we get to give, Lord, out of that place. Help us to be generous and loving in this time, Lord God. We pray these things in your loving name, Jesus. Amen.